This is Crime Connections, and we're your hosts. I'm Jackie. And I'm Sarah. In July of 1967, a young man's skeletal remains were found in a wooded area near Markham, Ontario, Canada. The victim had been stabbed. He was discovered unclothed with articles of clothing placed nearby. The victim was estimated to have been killed between one and two years prior to being found. Identification was made through fingerprints they had recently obtained after a break-and-enter conviction. Their skeletal remains were Robert Mortimer of Gloucester, Canada. Mortimer's brother had reported him missing a week earlier. Mortimer was last seen alive on July 7th in Gloucester Street roaming house that he had shared with his brother. Police said they were aware that Mortimer supplemented his earnings by homosexual activities. And by that, I think he, they mean like prostitution. Yeah, which, why does it matter who he was giving his sex to? Literally. But that just is just like a little jab. Like, yes. You want to try to embarrass them. And that's like a quote from them. So I did not say that. Okay. On December 17th of 1967, a Kobo Konk resident, sorry if I mispronounced practically every single thing in here, uh, resident Don Alton then age 21, was partridge hunting in the woods of Parkside Road near Balsam Lake Park when he discovered a skeleton in the woods. Balsam Lake Park is located near Cobenconk, Ontario, Canada. In 2006, Alton recalled what happened that day. After he spotted several partridges in the woods, he took his shot and went to retrieve the bird. I was looking for the bird and I saw the all these bones. I wondered what kind of animal they belonged to. And then I saw the skull. It was missing the lower jawbone and I could see the teeth. And I knew no animal had teeth like that. It definitely was human. There was a long piece of rope. It looked like bender twine. The police kept looking up at the tree branches. They thought maybe this person had hung himself. They just didn't know, Don told local news. The skeletal remains hands and wrist bones were knotted together by twine there was no clothing at the scene with the exception of a pair of low-cut white tennis shoes size 7 they were later determined to be male skeletal remains no one came forward with any information on the victim at the time and so his identity remained unknown Almost five months later, and about 75 miles north, on May 15th of 1968, a farmer plowing a field near Schomburg discovered the skeletal of a young man lying against a wire fence. He, too, was naked, his hands bound. The victim's hands were also tied behind his back, but this time it was with a shoelace. There was no clothing at the scene like the first two victims. The second victim, no one came forward with any information on the identity of the male. There was now two John Doe's murdered with no identity. The local police said that at the time the teenagers disappeared, a sexual predator was on the radar operating in the area of downtown Toronto known as the Gay Village. They believed there was a direct link between the two dead victims and two solved cases involving serious attacks on young men during the same period. The similarities between the cases led police to believe the victims who died may have also have met their attacker in downtown Toronto. It wasn't until the other two young men's skeletal remains were discovered that Robert's name was brought up to be possibly linked to these cases, which Roberts was the first victim. So now there's three pe people that were found dead in very similar circumstances, 
and different areas in different areas that they're now trying to link together but for almost 40 years the john doe's cases and identities were cold now on july 16th of 1980 skeletal remains were found in a bush in the york region of markham ontario the victim was identified as a white male but may have been a transgender woman due to the compact containing face powder and mirror two green plastic bags with additional items and a small bag containing small animal bones which i don't know the small animal bones situation i don't know how they would be like oh they're transgender because of that does it doesn't really make sense but there was also female clothing such as a red slash pink high-heeled shoe with a decorative flap and bow that was larger sized which they thought were like more male size there were women's jeans, a woman's red shirt, and white frilled socks that were also located near the skeletal remains. He had a slim build, light boned with poorly developed muscular markings. He had brown hair, medium to dark, straight, and about four inches long, which I'm assuming they meant like it was still on the skull, mm-hmm. so which is kind of freaky to think of. Um, he was estimated to be anywhere from 20 to 50 years old. Which is, is a huge age huge gap. Huge gap. The unidentified male was believed to have been killed one to three years prior to being found. And unfortunately, he still is not identified to this day. So, jumping forward in December of 2006, the... So, in Canada, the police, they're called, like, OPPS. But for the sake of it being easy, I'm just going to call them police. So, the police forensic reconstructed the two victims' faces from... Kobukon and Schomburg, drawing intense media coverage to the two John Doe's and their cases. The media coverage resulted in tips from the public, which in turn led to the identification of the Schomburg victim as Richard Hovey, which he was called Dickie to like his friends and people that knew him. He was native to Fredericton, New Brunswick, before he moved to Toronto in 1966 or 1967. At the news conference the police had held at the time, investigators said that Hovey was a musician who played the Yorkville clubs before his disappearance. He was 17 when he had died, and forensic DNA testing confirmed his identity. Police said he was last seen getting into a car with a muscular black man on Yorkville Avenue in June of 1967. Police also released a statement from Hovey's family saying that they were glad to be able to bring him home after years of anguish. Less than three years later, in March of 2009, police announced the identity of the Kobenkonk victim after family members saw the reconstruction of his face on a television program about the investigation. The Center of Forensic Sciences confirmed the remains were those of Eric Jones of Knollville, southeast of Sudbury. He was 18 at the time of his death. Eric's parents did not live to learn of their son's fate after he had disappeared in 1967, but his 10 siblings had a measure of closure as police officially identified him. During the March 2009 news conference, Dave Quigley, the case manager, said the 18-year-old left his Noville home in the spring of 1967 and moved to Howard Street in Toronto to live with an aunt. He was last seen in April of the, that year, police said that while Hovey and Jones did not know each other, Hovey disappeared about five blocks from where Jones lived in Toronto. The driver matches the description of James Henry Greenidge, a sexual predator who was to believe to be Canada's first serial killer. 
Now, just to recap, because that's like a lot of information at one time. So there are four local teen, early 20s, that have went missing. That have went missing. And one of them is still unidentified, and three of them had been identified. Just to recap really quick. Now, these are not all proven to be connected to James Greenidge, but a lot of speculation. Police really believe that he did kill everyone. Um, I just wanted to mention that really quick. So, I'm going to now go over who James Greenidge is. In 1955, at age 18, James lived with his parents and was working in a hospital in Toronto. In that same year, James dragged a 14-year-old girl into an alley while she was out grocery shopping and raped her. He was later found guilty of raping her while restraining and choking her. And then in 1962, he was convicted of assault causing bodily harm after he beat a male in a Toronto movie theater known as a gay sex haven. So I'm assuming it was like a a porn movie theater because that used to be a thing. In 1967, James was charged with attempt murder after trying to kill a 21-year-old William Howell. The pair had met in Toronto. James bound William's hands, stripped him naked, slashed his throat numerous times, and left him for dead in a farmer's field north of Barrie. Howell was found and taken to the hospital immediately and survived, shockingly. Police said if Howell had not been found, he would have died within hours, which I'm shocked it would have been even hours since his throat was slashed. Days later, James was picked up and charged with the murder of a 17-year-old boy later identified as Robert Mortimer, so our first victim. A coroner said Mortimer was beaten and his body possibly burned. Uh, James was convicted of attempt murder and manslaughter and sentenced to a maximum of only 10 years. While James was in prison in late 1967, Eric Jones' decomposing remains were found at Balsam Lake Park near Kobukonk. His hands were tied behind the back of the naked corpse. The murder is believed to have occurred earlier that summer before he was convicted. In May 1968, Dickie Hovey's decomposing naked remains were found on a Schomburg farm. The rotting body was found with its arms tied behind its back, secured with a white shoelace, which was, as we can tell, his signature. James was on the radar screen for both of these murders, but for reasons as yet unexplained by the police, he was never charged. Police have denied his impending release has anything to do with the drive to identify the other 1967 victims. After serving 10 years in prison for these crimes, James changed his name to James Gordon Henry and was released. Excuse me, what? Yeah. So shortly after his release from prison, James moved to Manitoba and was charged in 1980 after a 13-year-old Winnipeg boy alleged that he passed out at James's home after being given tea and awoke to find James trying to anally rape him as he strangled him with a blanket. The boy struggled, broke free, and fled. James has maintained to this day that that boy had lied about the whole situation, but fortunately, those charges stayed. Um, yeah, because guess what? You have a little boy running, screaming for help, and there's that's so easily provable. If there's mm-hmm. any kind of like abrasions or anything mm-hmm. like that, Mm-mm. Yeah, and they could have tested him too and oh, see if they, anything was in his blood. That or doing like a rape kit, like they can still find all that information. Oh, even, for sure. Or even um, like burns on his neck from being choked. Yeah. 
So then, in 1981, James was charged with murder after he was linked to the murder of Elizabeth Fells, who was 24 at the time when she was killed. I don't cover in this, but that just shows you he was charged with yet another murder. Um, the sentencing judge expressed shock that James had been released on parole to an unsuspecting public after his 1967 crimes. James was convicted and sent back to prison. This time, James received a life sentence. Thank God. He is currently 80 years old and incarcerated in the British Columbia prison. He is also considered a possible suspect in the death of the unidentified male who I talked about earlier who was found in the wooded area near Markham, Ontario in 1980. Uh, since women's clothing was found at the scene, it was believed that the victim was either transgender or a crossdresser, which I don't really... I, I feel like they only say that for like identification purposes, but... He was never identified, and due to the, to the similarities between James's two 1967 attacks and the deaths of Dickie, Hovey, and Eric Jones, he is considered to be the prime suspect, but no conclusive evidence has ever linked him to those two murders, so they are still considered unsolved. This, in conclusion, is a perfect example of cops knowing who is guilty yet not having the evidence to bring the case to the district attorney. They really only have that one shot to convict someone. And if they fail, they can't convict him again because of double jeopardy. So yeah. they, if they don't have the perfect case, they pretty much won't do anything about it, typically. And then that makes them look like they're not trying. But it's like if yeah. you do it too soon, you've totally shot your opportunity mm -hmm. if everything fails. And now you have another person. And it's not like they can just like stalk them all the time because then yeah. they're going to get in trouble. Because they're mm -hmm. like, oh, I know you did this. I know you're going to do it again. But I can't monitor you 24-7 because you have the same rights as everyone else now because you just got dismissed on that charge. Or exactly. Or you served your time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're on my radar for sure, but I can't watch you 24-7. Like, they're just not staffed like that. Exactly. And then they get flack for that. But it's like, what can you do? Well, and he is put away for life. Now. Uh, now. And I mean, not that... He doesn't deserve to be punished for what he's done, and the families deserve that closure. 100%. But if they don't have the evidence, they don't have the evidence. There's really not much they can do about it. So it's just one of those things where you just have to accept the fact that, like, you know who did it, but you're never going to get your justice, and mm -hmm. that, for families, is probably the most disappointing thing ever. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, of course there's a chance that there were two killers at the same time, but very unlikely. Because all the things are like lining up together. Mm -hmm. There's just, the evidence is so similar. And, you know, I do admire the Canadian police though, because from what I've read, they really do work hard on these cold cases that are super old. Mm -hmm. Like they'll continuously bring them up in modern day. Mm -hmm. And so I would say with the U.S. police, a lot of departments don't have the resources the time or want to yeah i don't know i thought that was really cool though because the canadian police are really on top of their cold cases granted i from what i saw their cold cases are way less than ours because i swear we have a, a lot in the u.s yeah but like i said from um multiple sources james was considered the first documented serial killer in canada which is kind of crazy because so, in 1967, that was the first serial killer you had? No, I guarantee you. I'm sure there's more, but he's the first documented. Documented, absolutely. Which is wild. Like, I thought I liked true crime, 
I thought I knew a decent amount, but you always, I was like, oh, have you heard of this? Oh, yeah, I heard of it. <laughs> I'm like, how, how do you hear of all the, like, you hear about a lot more than I do. Oh, well, I can tell you this right now. On my layovers, when I was regionally flying, I had a very large amount of time where I'd watch HLN. Mm. And so basically, I'm sitting in these hotel rooms in a place I'm not familiar with watching murders <laughs> all <laughs> the time. Or like when I was younger and I was in high school and I would be like, oh, I don't feel good. I got to go home. Sorry. Because I didn't want to go to my last few classes of the day. I would literally go home and watch like Disappeared on Netflix. My parents mm. would come home. They'd be like, why did you get out early? And I'm like oh, you know, they just canceled class or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, right. They called us and told us you were sick and had to come home. I'm like, oh, well, I'm watching Netflix and then I got to go to work at six o'clock. So like, oh my God, I'm the funny. worst, but I literally have been obsessed with it for like ever. I almost like, I've told my friends before, like I thought I should have been a police officer. And my dad thinks that too. He was like, you should have been a police officer. And I'm I like, feel like you should have too. Cause then you could have been an investigator. And I think you'd be. An, yeah. After I'm like 40 years old and maybe old and have to wear like, you know, Suspenders? S suspenders. <laughs> I'll get my magnifying glass out. I'll be like, here to look for mysteries and clues. <laughs> but, I mean, this is more fun. I get to meet a lot of people that tell me different things. Yeah, that's true. Over. But, yeah. So, um, this case also is a perfect example of people being released after many, many crimes. Going out, committing more crimes, killing more people, and then being tried, like, five years later after they killed 20 people or something yeah, you know what i mean versus they go to jail and then One time. that that stops it no and then they keep getting out and doing it over and over yep. again and it doesn't seem like it was the police's fault they just didn't have the evidence well it seems like the freaking country's fault because you get 10 years for killing someone oh my god yeah okay so uh, there's another case and i'm not going to even say the name but you'll be able to like look it up but there is a girl who killed her family and she got out when she was like in her early 20s or something she just got out for double murdering her parents how does that even make sense um because they have a very lenient system when it comes to serial killers because they believe in reform is it in canada it's canada? in canada yeah is it canadian is it canadian yeah it's in canada they have a very reformative they believe that you can change I, type of mentality for when killers. you're killing multiple people i do, i totally disagree yeah i do too and also like let's think here the one that I'm talking about, and I don't, I can't remember her name at the time, but I do know a lot about it all the details, <laughs> but like she killed her family. She acted like, what was me? Like somebody killed uh -huh. my family. They're like, no, like you killed your family because she was mad about a boyfriend situation. Tried to blame her boyfriend. The fact that that stuff happens is absolutely crazy to me. Because yeah. there's a lot of cases in the U.S. with that as well. Yeah, like I used to watch kids. Snapped. And yes. it was like always the kids killing their parents yes. because they couldn't go out on a date with like... Or they couldn't get a video game or they... Stupid, crazy things. I'm like... And I'm like, you want to let this person back out because they didn't get their way? Like, what, what's going to happen when someone crosses them? At the grocery store. It's <laughs> like they took the last carton of milk and now they're ticked. Literally. Like, no. like I'm, And I believe that like people can reform, but I'm sorry... If my kid attempted to murder me because I wouldn't let them go out with Joe or whatever on a date, sorry, I'm scared of you now. Don't yeah, forever. Ever come home. Like, like, parents should be like more like cautious. Obviously, don't be afraid of your children. But there's more kid killers out there than you would believe, and they're killing their families. Yeah, literally. Like, I'm pretty sure there's a whole document series on kid killers, and they're all all there killing is. their families. There is. Yeah, because there's also like w uh, women killers. There's yeah, women like that. that kill. Yes, yes which yes, I watched yes. that. 
yeah, it's just, it's crazy that Canada's laws are so lenient on that because this guy raped and got out. And he was, killed, he did it out. with both genders. Yes. Oh, I was, thank you for mentioning that because I was going to mention that too. It's, he was a very unique case as well because of the fact that he did both female and male. Which, which makes him very, harder to figure out because yeah. usually you stick to one person. Or the, yeah. The police said it was really, really strange. Because you don't see that very often, if ever, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you guys join us next Wednesday. We'll have another case. We are so excited to be getting back at it. And thank you so much. Thank you guys so much, seriously. And as always, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Um, to keep updated on any information or just on the podcast in general go ahead and follow us on all social media platforms and if you have a case that you want to hear us cover please shoot us a message we love covering cases that you guys suggest just knowing that you know someone wanted to hear it from us is always cool yeah and we always will tell you who you're talking to so me and jackie both have access to all the messaging so like Mm -hmm. i always will be like hi you're talking to sarah she'll be like hi you're talking to jackie yeah like you're gonna know which one you're talking to so yeah crime connection pod on instagram and crime connections on facebook let us know what you guys are thinking what you want to hear give us some feedbacks we'd love to hear from you guys all right thanks guys thank you